years ago at a hospital I was working at as a chaplain, I got a call from the oncology department saying that there was a family that wanted to meet with me. And there was a gentleman that had a very terminal cancer diagnosis and they had done all of the procedures and all of the treatments and nothing had worked. The cancer had spread throughout his body and they had told him that all they could do at this point was provide comfort care until he died. And it was looking like it was going to be a few days to a few weeks. And they told me that outside of a miracle, he was going to die. And they were believers, people of faith, accepting that if that's what God wanted, you know, that that, that was just you know, outside of the miracle, they were accepting that he would die. But they did ask, could we pray? And I remember, you know, not what I said, but the idea of, Lord, if this is your will, then we accept it. But if you are willing, you can do the miraculous. And we believe, because we've seen you do it before, that you can heal this man and give him more years to live this life, to bring the kingdom, to be with his family, and to you know, do all the things that that living entails and you know i i gotta be real with you i, I walked out and uh, i was just assuming it was going to be one of the many prayers that i prayed each day with people but a few days later i got another call from the oncology department about that patient and i was thoroughly expecting to go over there and have them tell me that he had passed away but they said that he after a few days uh, of after his last visit started just feeling so much better that they just wanted to to see if something was was changing and they said when they did the scans there was absolutely no evidence of cancer in his body that he had been completely healed of that sickness and disease and now he was in a whole and healthy body and they couldn't explain it and we just sat there in that room just, just praising God and they were weeping and celebrating because God had done a miracle. Undeniable evidence of the miraculous right in front of me. And that's just one of many times God has done that in my life and shown me that He still works in miracles. And that's what we've been talking about in the start of this series of being suspicious of the supernatural. And if you joined us last week, we looked at how being suspicious of the supernatural helps me examine the evidence. By being skeptical and having that healthy skepticism that we're not going to go to the extreme of blind faith because that can lead us down the avenue, uh, the avenue of, of misunderstanding the scriptures and putting, um, uh, putting God into this box of always giving us everything we ask for. But we also aren't going to swing to the other extreme of cynicism that says God can never do that. Miracles don't happen. The supernatural is all made up. And it didn't really happen. And we learned, like we said, being suspicious of the supernatural helps me examine the evidence. Today, we're going to move further into this to talk about how we as people, but especially the church, have misunderstood miracles. And that's what we're going to talk about today in our second part of Suspicious of the Supernatural. We're going to talk about misunderstanding miracles. Because while that was an amazing situation, and I've seen God do this 
many times. He's even used me many times. It's a supernatural that God, through me, supernaturally healed people. Unexplainable, undeniable miracles. But of those handful of times that God has used me to do that, there were countless others that did not receive a miracle. That their injuries persisted, their pain continued, and many even died of their injuries. You see, not too long after that particular situation, and I was on cloud nine, you know, I was just so excited. God had moved, and I was just spiritually and emotionally supercharged for the kingdom. And I get another page, and I go to the ICU, and there's a gentleman in there who's dealing with kidney failure. As a younger man, he had heavily abused drugs and his kidneys were dying and shutting down and causing him to, to, you know, his life was gonna be over. And I remember sitting in that room with his family where he was not going to receive a transplant in time and he was basically, you know, sleeping in the bed. His body was, was just deteriorating so much. And standing there with his mother and father, with his wife and children around him, they were just praying for a miracle. And I remember walking into that room saying, God, I've seen you do this. I mean, it was just recently where you just, you absolutely did the unexplainable, the undeniable. God, you can do it again. I had faith in you. They have faith in you. And he died. And I remember as, as the family sat there weeping, just being brokenhearted for them, but also brokenhearted because I felt like God had not shown up when he could have. And this is where we meet in the middle of this struggle because we misunderstand miracles when we go to an extreme. When we go to the extreme that I went to where I said, God, you've done it before, you'll do it again. And, and God, you, you know, I, 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 you, we have faith, you can do this. And then when he doesn't, we get heartbroken. Or we go to the other extreme of saying, God, you can't do anything miraculous at this point. It's, it's, it's impossible that this is, this is not, you're not going to show up. And I just doubt, 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 right? And this is where we have to bring this back to balance. That everything with God is about balance. And the balance here is that God does miracles, but he does not do them on our command. Because we all want God to do miracles as we want him to. We want God to show up every time we ask him to. And then when he doesn't, we get mad. How do we find the balance here? How do we keep from misunderstanding miracles in the world and especially in the church? Because we've all been to situations where either we were in person or maybe we saw it on TV or saw a video clip of these faith healing services where the, the, the divine healer comes in and starts pointing people out laying hands on them and, and maybe they shake, maybe they fall to the ground, whatever, and maybe they're they're in wheelchairs and they stand up and start dancing and, and, and then we, we, we see this and then we find out that this person was a fake and that all of the people that were supposedly quote unquote healed in that service were all actors that were done to, to make money off of people and to you know increase their fame and fortune. And if you've never seen that, a quick internet search will find you uh, countless people who have abused the, the, the people's faith and their belief in order to build their own kingdoms rather than building God's kingdom. 
But on the other hand, we also have undeniable evidence that miracles do happen. So how do we find the balance here? How do we get to the middle, that sweet spot that recognizes that yes, miracles happen, but they also don't happen like we want them to? Well, the answer, of course, is on the pages of Scripture. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be looking at a few different passages today. And I don't know if you want to, to, to go ahead and, and put your you know, bookmarks there for us to, or if you just want to let me read them to you and you study them later. But we're going to look at passages from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Mark chapter 16, and John chapter 14. And normally I don't like doing this. I'm not a, a fan at all of jumping around in the scriptures when I teach and preach. But this is where we're gonna, what we're going to need to do today to look at some different passages that help us illuminate this idea of miracles and what keeps us from misunderstanding those miracles. But as we get ready to jump into the Bible, I want to review a quick principle that we've talked about before. Is that the Bible includes two different types of passages. The first is prescription, and the section is description. So the Bible includes prescriptive passages and descriptive passages. What does that mean? Well, a prescription is, is where we're told what to do. So prescriptive passages in the Bible tell us directly and specifically what we should do or not do. Like, do not steal. Honor your mother and father, right? Worship the Lord and honor Him only, right? You'll have no other gods, right? Those are prescriptive passages that tell us love your neighbor like you love yourself, right? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Those are prescriptive passages that tell us what to do. But then a lot of the Bible is descriptive. It gives you an explanation of an event or a teaching. And we have to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, determine the right application the right interpretation of how we put this into practice into our lives. And descriptive passages tell us things like, like when David fought and conquered Goliath, that's a description. When the Red Sea was parted, that's a description. When Jesus was transfigured on the mountaintop with Peter, James, and John, that's a description. And so as we read the Bible, we see God using both of these types of passages to show us the truths of how miracles work in the kingdom. So, in your Bibles, let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to put it in context for you, is Paul writing to the church communities in the city of Corinth that were experiencing amazing, miraculous things in the Spirit, but they, because everything was so new and so powerful, they were practicing them inappropriately. And so Paul gives them cautions and explanations about these things. So if you want to turn in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's where we'll start today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. Thank you, Paul. We don't want to misunderstand this either. In verse 2, he goes on, You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 4, this is where he gets to what we want to pay attention to today. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we say serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, 
but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. And so what we see here in this passage is that there are supernatural abilities that the Spirit is giving people the ability to do, things they could not do on their own, things that, that God was empowering them to do. Look at what he explains different gifts in verse 7. He says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. So this is what the, the goal is, is to help each other in the church. And in verse 8, he gives an examples. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives the message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another and to someone else. The one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. And so what we see in this chunk of Scripture is that it was a reality of life for the Corinthians to experience these supernatural things. They were seeing people speak in unknown languages. They were seeing people who didn't know these languages interpreting them properly. They were seeing healing. They were seeing people having a supernatural amounts of wisdom. You know, all of these things that were, or, or knowledge they should not have on their own. And these things were miraculous things that were happening. And Paul wants them to understand that, hey, you may, because of your background, be tempted to think that these are coming from all these different places, but it's only coming from the Holy Spirit, from the Spirit of God. And so we see first from this passage, we see the reality that, that miracles existed and that miracles are given to us by God. God is giving us these miracles because what we're tempted to do oftentimes in, in the church is people, because they're skeptical, they tend to say, oh, it's a fake. Or they may even go to the extreme of saying that uh, uh, the devil is doing this. This is a demon possession that is allowing them to do this supernatural works, right? If you've seen any of the movies, uh, horror movies in recent decades, you see, you know, possessed people able to do supernatural, impossible things right? And it's tempting for us to say, oh, these miracles are either fake, they're tricks, they're illusions, or they're demonic. And what we see in this passage is these are really things that are happening, and the Holy Spirit is the thing that is the reason why these things are happening, that God is giving them. And so the first thing we can understand when we talk about miracles is miracles are not always fake, right? We, we need to be careful to say that the, you know, and if you study logic and philosophy, there's two things that are important to understand is that the exception does not define the rule. The exception proves the rule. The exception does not define the rule. The exception proves the rule. So what we see is that, yes, there are charlatans out there. Yes, there are people that, that are faking miracles. But that does not mean that miracles are not real. I've seen them. They're still happening today. The Bible declares evidence of the miraculous. Jesus practiced the miraculous. The early church had the evidence of these spiritual gifts, these supernatural abilities, including the miraculous and of healing people. And so we see first that miracles are given to us by God. They are not evil. They are not deceptive. They're meant to, to encourage people and to build the kingdom and to show the power of the kingdom. That's the first thing. Miracles are given to us by God. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
But as Paul continues on, if you'll skip over a couple of chapters, because remember, the Bible didn't originally include chapters and verses, okay? We added chapters and verses about, you know, 500 years after the Bible was written (laughs) to make it easier for us to find things in it. This was originally a letter, and letters, you know, aren't usually broken up into chunks. You're meant to read it all together. So while we're skipping forward a couple of chapters, this was meant to be read together all at one time. You know, if I got a letter from my wife, you know, I wouldn't just read a few paragraphs and say, oh, I've I've read my chapter for the day. No, I'd read the whole letter at one time. And so we should keep that in mind as we study the the letters in the Bible, you know, especially the ones from from Paul to the churches, you know, and the other apostles to the churches. And so in chapter 14, as we go down to uh, that passage, let's look at it together. And it says in... Um, It says in um, verse 1, Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. So he's telling us this is something we should want. This is something we should strive after to have these spiritual gifts, to, to, to experience them and to use them. He says, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. I mean, if I'm sitting there talking to a group of people in Russian and nobody understands Russian, then, yeah, I'm pretty much only talking to God. Nobody else can understand me. I'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious since no one understands it. But the one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but the one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Now, what I want you to understand here is that what Paul is saying is that one part of the of the gifts are things that that encourage the believer. Other gifts encourage the church. And then further down, he talks about how you know the spiritual gifts are things that that encourage the unbeliever. That they are things that that people can can you know outside of the church be able to understand that they'll be able to say wow God is moving in a mighty way and so as we as we look at our spiritual gifts that have first we realize that miracles do happen miracles are for you know today they're not just something that happened way back in the in the uh, way back in the early days of the church but the first thing we see is not only does it strengthen the believer and their faith, it also strengthens the church. I mean, can you imagine, right? If I'm if I'm in the, the if I'm in a church meeting, and all of a sudden somebody is praying and saying, "Lord, I need I need you to speak to me. I need to give you to give me some guidance and some wisdom, and what to do next." And all of a sudden, in the middle of the meeting, maybe during the worship, another believer comes up to you and says, "Hey." The, the Spirit spoke to me and guided me to tell you that this business affair that you are dealing with, that I want to let you know that, that God is working it out and you're going to have a resolution in your favor in three days. And they speak that word of prophecy or that word of, uh, of knowledge and wisdom to you. Or maybe they, they know, hey, you've got a struggle with your marriage. And I just, I just want you to know that God is, is with you and he is going to bring you and your spouse back together in a powerful way. And your guys are going to walk together with God again. Those spiritual gifts of, 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 of unsupernatural knowledge, of, of, of wisdom, and of prophecy, those are things that, that build up the believers, right? 
Um, and then he says that down in verse 22. You see, speaking in tongues is, is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. And so we see that spiritual gifts do three things. The miraculous does three things. First, it strengthens the person. Because if I'm praying and all of a sudden I can speak Russian when I know absolutely no Russian, then God, you're doing something amazing. You're giving me this ability. And I'm strengthened. I'm encouraged. Why? Because I saw God do something amazing in me. But then, man, he also says that speaking in tongues is not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers. Because this shows somebody who doesn't know about Christ that he's moving in a mighty and he can do the unexplainable, the impossible. But also we got to put this in context of history because what's happening in the church at this point in history? One of the things that's happening is that they are moving out of the, the they started in, in Jerusalem, right? But then they're following their obedience to the Great Commission and they're going to the ends of the earth. They're spreading throughout the world and they're going into unknown uh, countries they've never been before with languages they don't speak. And as they go, imagine, you know, the Apostle John who became the bishop or the overseer of church communities in modern-day Turkey. And as he goes into these countries, they're speaking languages he doesn't know. And, and God gives him, imagine if this you know, were to happen, the supernatural ability to speak their language and to share the gospel with them. How powerful would that be? They'd say, you're from Galilee. How do you speak our language? We see this in Acts chapter 2, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm making this example up, but it's not a stretch of the imagination because we see this happen in the scriptures. And so we say, wow, this is amazing. And so as we, this would draw unbelievers to the church, right? So we see first miracles are for the individual believer, but it's also for the person who's not part of the church, the person who's not yet a believer, to show them the power of the kingdom. But thirdly, we see in, in that verse 22 that prophecy and, and other gifts like this are for the benefit of, of believers. They edify the church. Because here's the reality. If, if I you know, were to tell, go up to somebody and say, you know what? I just want you to know God's going to work your marriage out. They're going to be skeptical especially if they're not a follower of Jesus. You know, I've had people in my life speak a word of prophecy into my, into my situation and it came to pass. And it was amazing to see that happen, to see God fulfill that. But if you're, if you're not a believer, you're going to be skeptical and you're going to say, oh, that's just, that's just fortune cookie kind of stuff. You're just making that up. There's no way you could know that. Why? Because the, the gift of prophecy is for the believer, not unbelievers. And so, we see all of these miracles being done for multiple reasons. And so as we get ready to start pulling the strings of this together, I want to give you our big truth for today for this, this session together as we look at, at being suspicious of the supernatural and we're talking about how, how we keep from misunderstanding miracles. Our big truth today is that miracles show the power of the kingdom and draw others to it. Miracles show the power of God's kingdom and draw others to it. You see, one of the things that, that we see in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, like we said, first, miracles are given to us by God. Next, miracles are used to edify the body of Christ as individuals and as the whole body. Third, we see that miracles are used to show non-believers that God is real, that He's the one true God. Because as we go into the world, and there's a lot of religious views out there, there's a lot of different gods that people are seeking after. And we know 
that Jesus is the only way to God, that, that, that our God is the one true God, that all the rest are false, but there are many people who worship other gods. And the same thing was true in the days of the early church when they were starting out. And so these supernatural abilities showed them that God is the one true God and that he is real, that he's not just one of many, he's the one and only. And I want to show you over into one of the last two passages. We're going to look at Mark 16 and John 14. So in Mark 16, we find a familiar passage. Jesus has resurrected and the apostles, the the disciples are with him. And he gives them this familiar passage. And it says in verse 14, Still later, he, Jesus, appeared to the eleven disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. And he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Right? Remember, we call this the Great Commission. And he says this in verse 16, Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And we know that word believe. We've talked about that before. In Greek is the word pisteo. That means total trust. So we can rephrase that and say that anyone who puts total trust in me and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to put total trust in me will be condemned. And in verse 17, here's the part I want to pull out of this passage. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe who put total trust in me. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. Can you imagine what these miraculous things would have done to to show people about real God is. We saw this with Paul. Paul was bitten by a snake and he didn't die. And they wanted to worship him as a God. He said, and he redirected them and said, no, you need to worship the one true God. I'm just a man, right? And how many times did we see the apostles in the book of Acts and in the letters, right, of the Paul of supernatural healings have happened? You know, one time they said that they, they wanted to, you know, let Peter's shadow fall on them. <laughs> and they would be healed. I mean, amazing, miraculous things were happening. And what did that do? It did the three things we just talked about. It edified the individual, it built up the body, and it drew in people who were not believers and convinced them of the reality of God. And so we see that in order to keep from misunderstanding miracles, we need to put them in their proper place. Miracles are not things we do to build our kingdom. They're things we do to build God's kingdom. And so whenever you see somebody doing it and building their reputation, trying to, to take your, their, your money and, and, your, and your attention, then you make sure that they're, they're doing it in a way that's real and tangible, but also one that points to God and His kingdom. Because we said that miracles, right? Miracles show the power of the kingdom and draw others to it. And here's the last passage I want to camp on for a little bit. And I want to go down into John chapter 14, and we're going to spend a lot of time on this next week. But I want to show you this situation where Jesus is about to be arrested, put on trial, and crucified. And he's sharing the Last Supper, well, you know, his, his final meal with his followers, with his disciples. And he says this in response to Philip saying, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? 
don't you believe, don't you have total trust that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but the Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Jesus points to the miracles he has done, but as evidence of his godhood, of his divinity. But then this is what I want to close with. In verse 12, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. So when we're tempted to throw the baby out with the bathwater, to say because there are charlatans and there are people that take advantage of people doing fake miracles, that we're going to say miracles just don't exist anymore. We can't do that. Last week, we talked about how having that healthy skepticism shows us how to examine the evidence, right? Today, I want to remind you that miracles are real. They are still active and that miracles show the power of the kingdom and draw others to it. So let's not fall into the trap of misunderstanding them by taking them to one of two extremes of either saying they don't happen or that they happen all the time, every single time, because we know they don't. Plenty of people don't receive their miraculous healing and die. Plenty of people don't have God show up exactly how they want them to. But we can promise you this, that God does still show up. Miracles are still happening. And we keep from misunderstanding miracles when we recognize that miracles are meant to show the power of the kingdom and draw others to it. Join us next time as we dig deeper into this. But man, I hope this encourages you. Be blessed.